you've experienced some powerful worship this morning and this evening. For that, I'm truly thankful. Thank you for all of you who were on the worship team and led us into the presence of God through worship today. I love those two songs. Those are certainly two of my favorites, and uh, it's a great blessing to be here with you tonight. It's already been good to be in God's house. Take your Bibles and turn them with me, please, back to John chapter 10, and we're going to continue on where we left off this morning. We're talking today about the abundant life that Jesus offers in the 10th chapter of John. Now, we said this morning Jesus offers abundant life to all who believe in him. And we said that today that the abundant life that Jesus offers is not as much about the quantity of life that we have or the quantity of possessions that we acquire while we live our lives, but more about the quality of life we possess. It's not about all the stuff we can obtain because the truth is stuff just don't last and it cannot bring you the abundance Jesus is speaking of. Now, nothing wrong with having things. We just can't let our things have us. I love Dr. Kevin Ham, the pastor of First Baptist Gardendale. Uh, that brother speaks uh, truth by the power of God, and I'm so thankful for his ministry. But I remember something he said years ago that's always stuck with me. He said, all the stuff that we hold so dear uh, to us, and, and all of us have those certain things that we hold dear. Uh, maybe they don't mean as much to someone else, but they mean a lot to us. He said, all of that stuff that we acquire... Um, one day we're going to leave this walk of life through the door of death, and we're going to leave all that stuff behind, every bit of it. And he said about two weeks after we kick the bucket, after we leave this walk of life, somebody's going to sell that stuff on a yard sale for 55 cents. And so there, there's a lot of truth in there. There really is. I mean, the stuff that we acquire, um, the quantity of things that we have in this life is not really what Jesus is speaking of. He's talking about the quality of life we can possess if we choose to place our faith in Him. So today, I'm giving you five keys to abundant living. And we said this morning, the first one is a personal relationship with Jesus. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says plainly that he who has the Son, meaning Jesus, he who has Jesus has life. If you believe that tonight, say amen. Isn't that good stuff? Listen, I'm thankful I've been given abundant life, eternal life, because of faith in the Lord Jesus for what he's done for me. So tonight, if you've been saved by grace, through faith, you've trusted in Christ and been born again into his family, made a part of his kingdom, then you can, uh, listen to me now, you can be thankful tonight. You need to praise Jesus tonight because you've been given abundant life in him through that personal relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that's you, again, be thankful. Praise Him for it. What a blessing it is. You've received an amazing gift that only God can give by grace through faith. You've been born again in His family. You've been made a part of His kingdom. Now what's that look like? Well, take your Bibles. Keep your place there in John chapter 10. And flip over with me, if you will, please, to Romans 14. And I want to read to you a verse of Scripture that um, Paul writes that I think is very beneficial to every believer. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 17. What does it look like to have the abundant life that Jesus promises? Well, what's it look like when, uh, for us to be a part of God's kingdom? In Romans 14, 17, Paul tells us three things about the kingdom of God. Now, not only does this describe the kingdom of God, but it also tells us um, what the life of a believer who is a part of the kingdom of God looks like, what abundant life 
is all about. He says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But he goes on to say, but righteousness, watch this now, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? So if you want to know what abundant life is all about, well, it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what's going to be evident in the life of a believer. And folks, that's an amazing truth that I want all of us to get a hold of tonight. So we're going to take those three things and we're going to look at them very carefully before we go any further. Now, righteousness, I want to talk to you about from uh, really two, uh, on, on two different levels. First of all, how many of you understand when we place our faith in Jesus, we go from being outside Christ to what the Bible says in Christ? If you believe it, say amen. That's what's happened to all of us. Our position changes. The Bible says in Romans, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3, the Bible says plainly that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on and Paul says it like this. He says that um, we have been, are seated uh, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we've went from being outside Christ in our sinful condition to being in Christ if we've placed our faith in Him. It's positional righteousness. Now for us to really get that, first of all, we got to know where we were, uh, where we came from. Now how many of you understand, apart from Christ and our sinful state, the Bible teaches there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. Now, the word righteous, you almost hear the meaning of the word when you say it. What he's saying is there is nobody that does everything right according to God's standard. None of us did. Uh, we've all broken God's law. We know that God's law teaches there's some things we should do and there's some, some things that we shouldn't do. And the truth is we've all done things we shouldn't do and we've all not done things that we should have done. Amen. So we've sinned sins of commission and we've sinned sins of omission. We've all broken God's law and apart from Christ, that makes us unrighteous. Each and every one of us. I don't care who you're talking about. Um, apart from Christ, we have no righteousness. We can't become righteous by our own self-righteous works. For if we could, Jesus never had to die in the first place. He died in vain. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12, the Apostle Paul gives us a description of the man outside Jesus, the man who is still in his sins, has not been forgiven, the man who's not been saved by grace through faith. He says, who were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. He said the people that don't know Christ, they have no hope and they are without God in this world. Now I know that to be true because that's where I used to be. As a matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians 2, where that great verse of Scripture you find it there in verse 12, Paul is writing to believers and reminding them where they were before they met Christ. They were unrighteous. They were undone. They had no hope and were without God in this world. But now I want you to know something. Uh, God loves the sinner. Can you say amen? Do you know God loves you tonight? Folks, if you don't get anything else I say this evening, I want you to know that. Hey, we need to hear that. God loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care, listen, where you've been. God loves you. 
God loves you. He loves you so much. The Bible said He sent His Son to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He sent His Son to walk in flesh so that He might do for men what men couldn't do for themselves. Uh, for God so loved the world, John 3.16, He gave His one and only Son. What a blessing. God loves you. Listen, God gave His Son. Jesus came to this world. He dwelled as a, on this earth as a man. Uh, listen, lived as a man and fulfilled the righteousness of God through His perfect birth and His perfect life. Do you know that? Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. The Bible says, Jesus said, He didn't come to um, do away with the law, but He came to fulfill the law. So it's through the perfect birth and the perfect life of the Lord Jesus, He fulfilled the righteousness of God. He did what we couldn't do. I mean, no, I couldn't live righteously because I was born into sin. Jesus was born through the perfect virgin birth by the seed of the Holy Spirit. He came here perfect so that He might therefore live perfect. And He lived perfect so that He could satisfy the righteousness of God in keeping the law, doing for us what we could not do. Then the Bible says he satisfied the wrath of God by going to the cross and taking the punishment for my sin and for yours. How many of you are thankful Jesus took the cross for you? If not for the cross, we have no hope. If not for the cross, our sin debt can't be paid. If not for the cross, we can't be declared righteous. But Jesus went to the cross and satisfied the wrath of God because the sin of all mankind was placed upon him um, there upon the tree. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look down with me if you will please. At verse number 21. The Bible says. For he meaning God the Father. Hath made him meaning God the Son. To be sin. For us, who knew no sin, watch this, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. How do we go from being unrighteous to being declared righteous? How do we go from being outside Christ to being in Christ? How are we positionally considered righteous? How does our position change? Well, I'll tell you how. When we choose to place our faith in what Christ has done for us. He took our sin on the cross so that we might have His righteousness. Wow. So thankful for that. All who choose to place their faith in, 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 uh, in Christ as Savior, God considers them righteousness. Listen, because we've placed our faith in Jesus. It's not about who we are or what we've done. We're placing our faith in who Christ is and what He's done for us. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. He's talking about the faith that Abraham had and how that God considered Abraham righteous uh, because Abraham believed what God said. And he says the same way Abraham was considered righteous, he imputed righteousness to Abraham, he imputes righteousness to all who believe today, who believe on the finished work of Christ. Romans chapter 4 verse 24, he says, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
So what's the condition for us to be considered positionally righteous in the sight of God? Well, we got to believe on the one who raised up Christ. He says in verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. How are we considered positionally righteous? By placing our faith in the Lord Jesus. We go from being outside Christ to being in Christ. Again, he takes our sin at the cross. He took our sin there and gave us his righteousness when we trusted in him by grace through faith. Tonight, I'm thankful for positional righteousness. But let me say something. That speaks of who we are. We are now in Christ as opposed to being outside of Christ in our sin. But now practical righteousness don't speak of much as who we are but how we live. Now, how many of you know, if you've been positionally considered righteous, you've placed your faith in Jesus, there will be some practical righteousness that shows up in your life. There's going to be a difference in how you live. He's going to change you so much on the inside that it's going to make a difference on the outside. The Apostle Paul explains that for us again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We all know this verse. You've heard it quoted. You've memorized it. You've studied it many times, I'm sure. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, watch this now, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. There's a change in everyone who trusts in Jesus and is born again into the family of God. That positional righteousness shows up in practical righteousness that we live out day by day. There's a change in how we think. There's a change in how we live. Praise God, when I trusted in Jesus as my Savior and was born again into the family of God, I started loving people I wasn't even supposed to love. I was able to forgive people that had done me wrong, that I couldn't in the past forgive. There was a change on the inside that Made a difference on the outside. I, I had a new desire to please God in everything I've done. Whether it was in church on Sunday or at work on Monday. Listen, whether I was preaching in the pulpit or sitting in the recliner at my house, I had a desire to please God and be a light for Him wherever I was. Why? There was a change. I went from being outside Christ to in Christ and that positional righteousness brought out practical righteousness day by day. That's what happens to the believer. Folks, I'm telling you, you can't tell me you've been born again in the family of God. There's never been a change in your life. He changes you. Makes you new. You go from being an old thing to a new thing. And you place your faith in Jesus. Shows up in your life. Amen? Amen. Righteousness. Positionally and practically, you're going to see in the child of God that's a part of the kingdom of God. But then he says something else. He says not only righteousness, but peace. Peace is a great mark of a believer. To walk in peace, to live in peace. To have peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. See, it's impossible for you to know the Prince of Peace and not have peace yourself. Amen? I had a dear brother tell me one time, he said, Brother, nobody ever sa- God never saved you to be miserable. He didn't. If you've been born again, He gives you His peace. John chapter 16, everybody turn over there with me. 
John chapter 16, and, excuse me, John chapter 14. And let's look down at verse number 27. To give you a little bit of background of what's happening here in John 14, Jesus has just told his disciples that he's going away and where he's going, they can't come. And folks, if you think about the situation, that had to be a very discouraging, depressing time for these men. They've left everything they had, their families, their jobs, their homes, and they followed Jesus wholeheartedly, faithfully for three and a half years. And now he says to them, guys, I'm leaving and you can't go with me. And so I know they were uh, depressed. I know they were discouraged. That had to be a low time, certainly in their life. And Jesus makes a promise to his disciples in that day that also applies to his disciples today. John chapter 14, verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. Now, how many of you tonight are thankful for peace? See, folks, it's, I've experienced it in my life, and I'm sure many of you here have also experienced the same thing. In the midst of trouble, trial, and tribulation that we all face in this life, the child of God can walk through all those things in peace. I'm not saying you don't ever get discouraged. I'm not saying you don't ever get depressed. I'm not saying you don't ever have doubts. All of us do. We're human. But listen, as a pattern in the life of a believer, you can and you should be walking in peace. Now, there's a lot of times, and this is a different message for a different day, but there's a lot of times that we forfeit the peace of God because we choose to worry instead of trusting in who God is and what He can do for us. But I want you to know, peace is a mark of the believer's life. It says, peace I leave with you. Watch what he says. My peace I give unto you. Now, I want you to understand something. The peace Jesus gives is much different than the peace the world offers. He says it plainly. He says it's not like the world gives. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let me talk to you just a moment about the peace the world gives. The world uh, sometimes uh, follows after peace, wants peace, and they try to find it in all the wrong places. We've already talked a great deal about possessions, but there's a lot of people who really believe that if I can just get that house I've always wanted and the car I've always dreamed of, then that's somehow going to make me content. Then I'll be at peace. I'll have life just like I like it. But they come to find that whenever they finally obtain the things that they really want, they still have that emptiness and they just want more. That's the peace the world offers. Some people think that, listen, peace comes through power. If I can just climb that next rung of the social ladder, if I can somehow get that promotion at work, then I'll be content. I'll have the peace that I've always uh, followed after, that I've always longed for. But when they find, when they, they finally do get that promotion, when they do climb that next rung on the social ladder, usually that comes with more responsibility, which brings not peace but heartache. It's a never-ending cycle. The world believes peace can even come from people. We see marriages failing at a great rate today. In the world, the statistics are these, that 52, almost 53% of marriages are failing today. And there's a reason for that. A lot of times what will happen um, the husband or the wife, they're not content with themselves and they're looking for their mate to give them contentment. I want to tell you something. Your husband or your wife, whatever the case may be, 
God has put you together for a reason. And listen, they can be a great help to you, but they can never give you contentment and peace. They're not going to. If you're looking for that, believe me, you're not going to find it. And so usually what happens, they go looking at, at other areas with it for a different husband or a different wife. If I can just get this man or this woman, I know I'll have the peace I'm longing for. I'll know I'll have the contentment. And then when that happens, they're still longing for that peace that's missing. Folks, I'm telling you, real peace does not come from possessions or power or even people. Real peace comes from a real relationship with Jesus himself. I know that because I've experienced it. I'm so thankful for it. Oh, Jesus is the answer. Peace I leave with you. Peace that passeth all understandings. Peace in the midst of heartache. Again, peace in the midst of trial. Peace in the midst of trouble. Peace in the midst of tribulation. Righteousness, peace, and then he says something else. He says joy in the Holy Ghost. Take your Bibles and flip over with me very quickly to Philippians. The book of Philippians is called a prison epistle. There's a reason for that. When the Apostle Paul wrote this great book, he wrote it from the prison. <laughs> and... Uh, you would never tell this man is in prison for his faith when you read his writings. If you'll read with me, please, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Everybody say joy. That's the theme of the book of Philippians. Here you have a man who's sitting in a prison cell under Roman guard, and while he's there, he's not depressed and discouraged and down and out. He's walking in joy. And he says, I'm making requests with joy. As a matter of fact, that's not the only time you're going to see joy in Philippians. It's the running theme. Nineteen times throughout this book that only has four chapters, Paul's going to speak about joy. See, his joy was not based upon his circumstances. If it was based upon his circumstances, he's not going to have any joy being imprisoned for his faith, having his freedom taken away. His joy is not based upon what happens to him. His joy is based upon whom he's trusted in. See, his joy is not in circumstances. It's not in people. It's not in good times or bad times. His joy is found in Jesus. So therefore, whatever takes place in his life, he can still have joy. Why? Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And if we've been born again into His family by grace through faith, I want you to know, listen to me now, the same Jesus that saved you is the same Jesus that keeps you day by day. He does not change so your joy can remain. Amen? Amen. Happiness and joy is two very different things. Happiness is based upon happenings. What happens to you day by day. Joy, real joy, is found in Jesus. Here you have this man sitting in a prison cell writing four chapters full of joy. His joy is in Jesus. 
That's the mark of the child of God. That's the mark of the one who has been born again into God's family, who is a part of his kingdom. Look at it in verse 12. He says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ, watch, are manifest in all the palace and in all of the places. Now let me tell you what Paul understood that we need to understand. What we must understand as the people of God is that even in bad times, we're still in Christ. Here the Apostle Paul says, my bonds are what's keeping me tied up. That, listen, it's in Christ as well. No matter what we go through, no matter what we face, troubles in our home, troubles at the workplace, troubles in the church, financial troubles, emotional troubles, physical troubles, whatever trouble you can think of, listen to me. You as a believer are still in Jesus. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And so the Apostle Paul says, you know what? Even in these bonds, I can still have joy. And you can too. Even in bad times, you can still have joy. He says, They are manifest in all the past and in all other places. Verse 14, And many of the brethren of the Lord, waxing covenant by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed, indeed preach Christ even of the strife, and some also of goodwill. The one that preached Christ of contention and not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Watch what he says now. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding everywhere, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. He said, I really don't care whether they're preaching it to bring affliction to me or they're preaching it... Uh, because they really have faith in Jesus. Either way, Christ is being preached and I'm going to glorify God because of it. His main goal was to get the gospel out. And however it got preached, whether it brought affliction to him or the people preached it because they loved you, whatever. He said, I, I'm just praising God because of that. That's the main goal. Wow. And he says on in this verse, Or in truth Christ is preached, and therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Does that sound like a man who is defeated? Does it to me? That sounds like a man who's walking in joy. Even in bonds. Even in persecution. Even in the tough times of his life. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. If you want to know what abundant life's all about, that's it. And that only comes through that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Abundant living. You can have it. It's found in Jesus. Now some of you, I hope and pray all of you, have trusted in Christ and been born again. If that's the case, man, isn't it good? I've told you before, I'll tell you again. If I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to Jesus. Amen? It just keeps getting better. If you hadn't trusted in Jesus, today's the day. Make that decision to trust in Him by faith and be born again in the family of God. If you want abundant life, the first key is this. You've got to have that personal relationship with Him. I'm going to stop there. We'll finish this some other time. What special needs do you have tonight? 